So today we start a, a brand new series called Focus. Somebody say Focus. I have, we have two dogs. <laughs> well, we have a dog and a little rat that just gets under my skin. Murphy, he, he's got issues. Um, but, but it's interesting as we walk the dogs, or they walk us, depending on, on what's up ahead, you know, it's like, <laughs> and they, they, they choke themselves, right? It's like, really? You're going to do that? Because this could be really easy, right? This could be a really nice, easy walk, and, and you could have breath in your lungs. But you're choosing right now to kill yourself and strangle yourself. It's like, really? And, and what I've found myself saying sometimes is, focus. <laughs> Sullivan, focus. Because he sees rabbits and frogs and they're like enemy number one and you know and and then there's dogs and cats and all kinds of things like that and sometimes the focus gets off and they go after things that that really aren't good for them sometimes life gets out of focus we lose perspective. I don't know if you've ever been there or not. I know that's happened to me more times than I even want to admit. Focus. Tell your neighbor, focus. We were, we were in a difficult season in our lives. We were in a difficult season in our church. 26 years ago, I was a, a, I was a youth pastor, but I also co-pastored the church with my father-in-law. And at times, I was the music pastor and anything else that needed to be done. And it was a very tumultuous time. In fact, at the time, it felt like this is the worst life could ever be. <laughs> that was 26 years ago, and I've lived a whole lot worse since then. Can I get an amen? amen. Uh, sometimes you think you're going through the worst that life could ever pass on to you, and, and then you realize later on that God was just teaching you and taking you through something so he could strengthen you and give you the ability and the wisdom to know how to handle things that are coming down the pike later. And you're thinking at the moment, what in the world is going on? And, and you get discouraged and you get distracted and you get out of focus. Someone has said, you're either in a trial or you're coming out of a trial, or you're headed into a trial. That's how life is. And in the midst of your mess, you've got to keep focus. It was in that, that time period that I was on my way to church. I was driving down the highway, and, and that day I had taken Isaiah 
with me, the church. You just met him. 26 years ago, he was just like that. Without any filters. That's filtered, folks, okay? He's learned a lot in those years. And he was four years old at the time, and, and I, it, it just, it was one of those days that just impacted me and has continued to impact me the rest of my life. We're driving along. You've got to know Isaiah. He, he loved everything that moved, made noise. If it had an engine, if it made some noise, he was all about it. Just kind of like Rome and his son, which is, <laughs> isn't God good to just... <laughs> blessed <laughs> and and Isaiah was just talking he, he talked all the time and and for a moment he took a breath and he he was looking through the windshield of the car now this is before car seats and, and all that stuff when you had to lock your kids up before they got in the it's like really uh Anyway, he's, he's looking out, out the car windshield, and he goes, Dad, look, a rocket. And I look up, and I see this trail of smoke, and I said, it looks like a rocket, buddy, but, but really it's a jet airplane. He looks at me. He looked back up, and he said, it's real little, isn't it? I said, well, well, it looks like it's real little, but really it's really, really big. He looks at me. He looked back at the sky and he said, why is it going so slow? I said, well, it, it, it looks like it's going slow, but really it's going really, really fast. And this time he gave me a four-year-old look like, Dad, you're an idiot. Seriously, I can see it's small, it's, it's a rocket, and it's going real slow. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, how do I explain the size, the speed, the, the, how do I explain this to a four-year-old? And off in the distance, at that moment, I, I see a semi-truck coming towards us way down the hill. I said, okay, look, 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 see that, see that truck way out there? I said, it looks like it's real small, right? He goes, yeah, it is small. I said, no, it's really big, but just keep your eye on it. I said, it looks like it's going real slow, doesn't it? He said, Dad, it is going slow. I said, no, 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 you just watch that. Watch, the closer it gets to us, the bigger it's going to get. And we're going along, and I'm going probably 60 miles an hour, and here comes the truck, and all of a sudden it goes, whoa. And his eyes got big as sauce, and he said, wow, Dad, that was big. It was going real fast, too. I said, buddy, that's the way it is. The closer you get to something, the larger it becomes. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that moment. He said, that's it. You got it. I'm like, what? <laughs> he said, the closer you get to me, the larger I become in your eyes. The farther away you stay, it looks like I'm real small. And, and it looks like I'm moving real slow. 
In fact, there are times in your life that you're so distant from me, and this is one of them, you can't even recognize me for who I am. You don't even see me, that I'm God. And he invited me to come close that day. And he took me to Psalm 34. In Psalm 34, the psalmist David writes this. I will, somebody say I will. will. You see, it's a choice that we make. I will bless the Lord at all times. Not just when things are going fabulous, but I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Where's your mouth at? Right here, right there, that thing right there. That's your mouth. That's the thing that makes noise out of your life. Well, you got other things that make noise, but that, this is the primary noise maker, all right? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will. Somebody's going to hear your praise. Somebody's going to hear you bless him. The humble will hear it and rejoice. They're going to get excited with you. As you bless the Lord at all times. Not just in the good times. Not even just in the bad times. He said I'll bless the Lord at all times. It's going to be a continual flow out of my mouth. What happens when we bless him? The Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. He dwells amidst praise. Psalmist says in Psalm 22, 3, Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. God sits down where he's praised. He comes and pulls his throne up and has a seat. He is enthroned upon the praises of his people. And when we bless him, He shows up. And where he shows up, anything good can happen. And as we bless him, it's amazing how the atmosphere changes. The atmosphere around us, the atmosphere in us. David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast In the Lord, the humble shall hear it and rejoice. When we praise the Lord, he comes and pulls up a big chair, sits down in the midst of our praise. Psalmist goes on in Psalm 34, verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. 
And God told me that day, you can't make me any larger than I am, but you can get closer. What happens when you magnify something? You bring it in real close. You blow it up larger than life. And he said, get closer to me. The closer you get, the larger I'll become in your eyes. You'll begin to see me for who I really am. You'll begin to see my magnificence. You'll begin to see my glory. We sang it today, Lord, show us your glory. And I, I can just see God going, come on. You want to see my glory? Come close. Get as close as you possibly can to me. You'll begin to see me for who I really am. Now, I'm good at magnifying my problems. And so are you. I mean, I can bring a situation in so close and start to study and go, oh, that's so big. Because <laughs> that's all I can see. The psalmist David says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. God's not hiding from you, but he's waiting to see the desire of your heart. How bad do you want him? David said, I went after God. I sought the Lord. And when I sought him, he answered me. He delivered me from all my fear. He stepped up and stepped out and showed off. Because when you seek him, the Bible says you will find him when you search for him with all your heart. I don't know if you've ever played hide and seek. Anybody ever play hide and seek? Do you know what the goal is? To hide and seek. I, I've told you this before. Some of you know this story. I was in Bible college. My roommate moved out of the dorm and moved into a funeral home. <laughs> he lived in this little apartment above the funeral home. He invited us all over. He said, look, let's play hide and seek in the funeral home. <laughs> I'm game for anything once, right? So a bunch of us, we got over there. We, we, uh, we, we went up to his little apartment. You know, they did the countdown thing. I ran. I, I went downstairs and then down into the lower regions of the, and it was like spooky scary. And, you know, I, I wasn't afraid of much, but I didn't like the feeling of that place. And I waited and I hid 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 and nobody came. And now, now I'm starting to feel things, right? You, you start feeling things crawling on you. Like, and you can't see anything. It's dark. I mean, it was spooky dark down, down in the, it was the cremation area. And, and, and finally, I, I went upstairs and, and they're all having a party. I said, dude, I was hiding and nobody came seeking. Okay? They're like, ah, oh, we played that a long time ago. We quit that a long time ago. I'm like, seriously? seriously? And I'm like, the, the whole point of hide and seek is to seek, right? Go after something until everything's found. And God's not hiding from you, but He's waiting to see the desire of your heart. How bad do you want Him? Are you going to go after Him? Or are you just going to sit back and hope He shows up? David said, I sought the Lord. And as I sought him, he answered me. And in answering me, he delivered me from all my fear. Chains, fall, fear, bow, here, now.
Jesus, when you show up, you change everything. Everything changes. When you find him, you find life. When you find him, you find he changes everything. David goes on and he says, they looked to him and were radiant. They got so close, they began to shine with his glory. They began to radiate who he was. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. And saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And he rescues them. And then David invites us in verse 8 to do something. Just taste. Oh, oh, oh. You ever have a bite of something you just you had to share? It was so good. Christy does it all the time to me. Like, oh, you got to taste this. Oh, just taste it. And most of the time, it's like, <laughs> seriously? That really tastes good to you? Like, oh, it's, it's the most amazing flavor. But let me tell you something. When you taste of the Lord, when you get a bite of who God is, when he begins to fill you up and that, that flavor of the awesome, almighty presence of God begins to fill your spirit, something happens. And David said, I've had a bite of that which has changed my life. Oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. How blessed you'll be. Just take a bite. Just get near enough. You don't want to be fed with a slingshot. Come near. Have a bite. Belly up to the, the buffet table and fill your plate. Amen. Don't sit back and go, yeah, I see a lot of food up there, but I don't know. Well, whatever. I don't know. And you go out starving. Are you serious? God says, come. Come close. Come take a bite. Come get what you need. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Someone has said a worshiper sees their entire life as a God song. It's not just singing in worship. It's, it's your whole life is worship. Last Sunday we had a, a worship Sunday here. And just observation. Uh, many people were just miserable. uncomfortable and, and I was praying this week and saying God how, how do we teach people to worship and the Lord very specifically said to me you don't have to teach anyone how to worship just take them to what they love and watch what happens And it was one of those moments where a light bulb came on for me. Just take them to whatever they love with all their heart and they will automatically worship. You don't have to be taught how to worship. You were designed by God 
to worship. It's in your DNA. But you were designed by God to worship Him and Him alone. And the problem isn't worship. The problem is what you worship. Because you're already worshiping something. The problem is the object of your worship. So I just need to take you to whatever you love with all your heart and watch what happens. Your favorite band. Favorite song. Your favorite restaurant, meal, your favorite coffee. Your favorite person, your favorite celebrity, your favorite car, motorcycle, home, your favorite place on earth, the beach, wherever you vacation, your favorite vacation spot, your favorite sports team. Saw some Raven things here today, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? (laughs) New Orleans Saints and Eagles and Red somebody's... uh, Redskins, come on now. I mean, think about it. Even work for some of us is worship. We love what we do and we will sacrifice anything to get there and pour our lives out. We worship money, the things money can buy because we're made to worship. I mean, go to any rock concert. Just watch what happens. Screaming, shouting, raising of hands, singing, dancing, adoration, exaltation of the band. It is a pure display of worship. And nobody taught them to do that. Nobody said, hey, when you come to the concert, you got to do this because that's what we do here. No. They're designed. All of us are designed to worship God. And yet we take that worship of the one true God and somehow send it out to everything else and everybody else. I mean, take a look at college football. Even the NFL. The NBA. College hockey, baseball. You just name, name your sport. Watch the Oscars, the Grammys. The Emmys, crazy worship. Voices raised in adoration and anticipation. If I could just get a glimpse of her, of him, if I could just get close enough to get a a signature on my arm, if they could just, I will never wash that hand again. And, and, And it's crazy. We don't have to be taught how to worship. Part of our DNA. We just need to fall in love with God. See, if if you were in love with Him, we'd probably have to hold you back. Stop it. Okay, that's enough. That's enough. All right? Y'all are getting out of control. And, and what is, what's the deal with that? Our affection is in a different place. The, uh, you even spend money on what you love, right? If you're in love, it doesn't matter. 
I mean, you're going to go all out. You're going to spend all your money. You're going to spend your time. You're going to spend your energy, your effort. You're going to voice your passion. And I guess the point is we have to change our focus. Got to change our focus. Teacher, what's the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, he qualifies it. He says the entire law, all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. If you just love God and you love people, it's going to change everything. But you got to fall in love with God in, first and foremost. But it, it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to get our focus somewhere else. Christy gave me a, a Valentine's Day card back in the early 90s. I still have it. It's got a picture on the front. It's, it's got a, two bald eagles. One's a male, one's a female. We know this because the male's flying overhead and the female is sunbathing on the beach in a bikini. <laughs> and the male is looking back and down at her and he's flying directly into the side of a cliff. And the caption at the bottom reads, Fatal Distraction. <laughs> Fatal Distraction. And I wonder what has your attention. What has your heart? What, what, what is it that has gotten you out of focus and instead of focusing on him, falling in love with him You're worried about that person next to you the one in the back worried about what anybody thinks about you you don't care if you're at a rock concert you don't care what anybody thinks about you right I mean if you're cheering on the sideline of, of the football game you don't care you don't care Because you're in the moment. You're in love with your team. Six minutes till six at the clock over the information booth at New York's Grand Central Station. The tall young Air Force lieutenant lifted his sunburned face and narrowed his eyes to note the exact time. His heart was pounding with a beat that shocked him. In six minutes, he would see the woman who had filled such a special place in his life for the past 13 months, the woman he had never seen, yet whose written words had sustained him unfailingly. Lieutenant Blanford remembered one day in particular during the worst of the fighting when his plane had been caught in the midst of a pack of enemy planes. In one of his letters, he had confessed to her that he often felt fear. Only a few days before this battle, he had received her answer, of course you fear, all brave men do. Next time you doubt yourself, I want you to hear my voice reciting to you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. 
He had remembered and it had renewed his strength. Now he was going to hear her real voice. Four minutes till six. A girl passed close to him and Lieutenant Blanford started. She was wearing a flower, but it was not the little red rose that they'd agreed upon. Besides, this girl was only about 18 and Hollis Minnell had told him she was 30. What of it, he'd answered, I'm 32. He was 29. His mind went back to the, the book he had read in training camp called Human Bondage. And throughout the book were notes in a woman's handwriting. He never believed that a woman could see into a man's heart so tenderly, so understandingly. Her name was on the book plate, Hollis Minnell. He got gotten hold of a New York City telephone book and found her address. He had written, she had answered. The next day, he had been shipped out, but they'd gone on writing. And for 13 months, she had faithfully re replied. When his letters did not arrive, she wrote anyway. And now he believed that he loved her and she loved him. But she had refused all of his pleas to send him her photograph. She said, if your feeling for me has any reality, what I look like won't matter. Suppose I'm beautiful. I'd always be haunted by the feeling that you had been taking a chance on just that. And that kind of love would disgust me. Suppose I'm plain, and you must admit this is more likely, then I'd always go fear that you were only going on writing because you were lonely and had no one else. No, don't ask for my picture. When you come to New York, you shall see me, and then you shall make your decision. One minute to six. <laughs> Lieutenant Blanford's heart leaped. A young woman was coming toward him. Her figure was long and slim. Her blonde hair lay back in curls over her delicate ears. Her eyes were as blue as flowers. Her lips and chin had a gentle firmness. In her pale green suit, she was like springtime, come alive. He started toward her, forgetting to notice that she was wearing no rose. And as he moved, a small provocative smile curved her lips. Going my way, soldier, she murmured. He made one step closer to her, and then he saw Hollis Minnell. She was standing almost directly behind the girl, a woman well past 40, her graying hair tucked under a worn hat. She was more than plump. Her thick ankled feet were thrust into low-heeled shoes, but she wore a red rose on her rumpled coat, and the girl in the green suit was walking quickly away. Blanford felt as though he were being split in two. So keen was his desire to follow the girl, yet so deep was his longing for the woman whose spirit had truly companioned and upheld his own. And there she stood. He could see that her pale, plump face was gentle and sensible. Her gray eyes had a warm twinkle. Lieutenant Blanford did not hesitate. His fingers gripped the worn copy of Human Bondage, which was to identify him to her. This would not be love, but it would be something precious, a friendship for which he had been and must ever be grateful. He squared his shoulders, saluted, held the book out toward the woman, although even while he spoke, he felt the bitterness of his disappointment. I'm John Blanford, and you, you're Miss Minnell. May I take you to dinner? The woman smiled. I don't know what this is all about, son, she answered. That young lady in the green suit, she begged me to wear this rose on my coat. She said that if you asked me to go out with you, I should tell you that she's waiting for you in that restaurant across the street. 
And I wonder, what are we missing because we are so distracted? Because our focus is in the wrong place. What does God have for you? If you'll put everything else aside and just fall in love 